Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten Podcast. Joining me on this show is Max Hiller-Brand from Wasabi Wallet, the coin join service that he has been, and Tib as well, who is uh, part of the team, been educating me about the world of coin join, uh, the world of the coin join wars, and the world of the blacklisting announcement back in March, which uh, turned Twitter upside down. For a few months. Max comes on to discuss all of this and educate me and um, yeah, convince me that this is something I should have been doing a long time ago. I've heard lots of other people talk about this and uh, finally I have taken the leap. So I hope uh, the show clears up some of your questions as well if you've been looking into uh, the coin joining. I know there's a lot of people out there that have been beating this drum and I will doff my cap to, of course, Matt O'Dell, uh, Max on the Bit by Bit pod, and Bitcoin Q&A, just to name three, uh, that have also helped me in their own way. So anyway, I hope you get some good education out of this one. Before we start the show, make sure you're stacking some sats. We are at absolute, like... I don't know how many times people have said to me, the bear is in. Is this the bottom of the bear? It doesn't matter. Just keep stacking. Use Swan. Use Relay. Use Coin Corner. These three companies are Bitcoin-only companies and they have your best interest at heart. They want you to stack sats and they want to educate you and your family. They've got so many resources between them and great services. Swan are in the US. Hit the link in the show notes. You'll get a free 10 bucks. Relay and Coin Corner are here in Euroland for all of you plebs in the UK and around Europe. So make sure you check out these guys. Keep your stacks safe. Get a hardware wallet or a signing device. You can use shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten. You'll get 5% off the Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only edition hardware wallet. If you don't know how to use one, just hit up any online tutorial. I suggest Ben Sessions at BTC Sessions. He has tutorials for so many different wallets. But like I said, you can use that code and get 5% off the Bitbox 02. Get to a meetup. Get to a conference. If you can't afford the conferences, get to a meetup. Make sure you're meeting plebs. This is so important. So many people have been getting so much out of these meetings since we came out of lockdowns. And so much cool stuff is being built on the back of this. If you want to hit the conference in Amsterdam, you can use code BITTEN at checkout. You'll get 10% off all of your ticket purchases. Liberty in Our Lifetime is coming up the back end of October in Prague, 21st to 23rd of October. Free Cities Foundation are putting that one on. You can use the code in the show notes to get yourself a discount. And Pacific Bitcoin is being held on the west coast of the US over in LA by the SWAN team. The whole team are going to be there hanging out with you guys. Use the code PRINCY for 10% off. Consensus Network have you covered for your books in as many different languages as you can find. And Ungovernable Misfits have you covered for cool streetwear merch. 
hit those links in the show notes. Enjoy this rip with Max. All right, Max, we're back. We are back, back on the Once Bitten show. Mate, great to have you here. Yeah, man, it's an honor and pleasure to be back. Thanks for the invite. I'm super stoked uh, to have our next conversation. Well, yeah. How many times have we missed it? <laughs> well, you know, you always attempt it many times. And uh, it, it's like hashing a Bitcoin block. You know, you, you fail many, many times before eventually su you succeed. So let's let's be happy that we found the block. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, let's be happy it we found it when we did, because I think we were trying to set this up uh, before uh, the Wasabi kind of, um, what, what would you call it? Uh, it? Is it a coin join war, Max? Are, are we at that stage or is it something else? Well, I mean, before I guess before the main 2.0 launch, and that was like a behemoth work, you know, and it took us two and a half years, three years to to get the research and implementation and, and review done. Uh, and yeah, I mean, even then after we have the release, you know, there's still so much work to do, but like we're, we're getting to a pretty stable and beautiful piece of software by now. Like the next release is going to be pretty dope. So I guess it's, it's as good a timing as we could manage. Yeah, absolutely. And it comes, what, uh, about a month after the, um, the blacklisting uh, announcement that, uh, that you guys put out on Twitter and then caused a little bit of a tweet storm and some division within the, uh, within the ranks of Bitcoin Twitter. Mm. We actually did that announcement two months before we did the mainnet release, if I remember correctly. You know? uh, so this is like old news by now. <laughs> has it died down or is it still uh, a hot topic well um i think some people perceive it as a hot topic for me personally it's it's died down quite a lot like there's a lot more important things going on um and you know ultimately like yeah people are loud on twitter but i guess that's just twitter you know so once once you talk to the people it's not that controversial of an issue i think and you, you had a lot of these discussions, right, in, in Riga, I think, with uh, certain people. I know you and Giacomo sat down and, and had a discussion. This is, I think, the, the hidden secret, the, the, the hidden value, perhaps, of having in real life conferences, whether they're conferences or meetups or just getting to meet each other and sit down and just have a discussion. Yep, exactly. It's so much different. I mean, but, you know, even now, us both talking in cyberspace, audio only, that already conveys so much information uh, that, that, you know, so much more than, than fits in a tweet. Uh, and then, of course, being in person is, is a whole other level of, of frequency. So for, for these important conversations, like, yeah, you should be, you know, you should be in person hashing this out. Uh, or at least have a call about it. But on Twitter, you won't solve any arguments as, as fundamentally deep as, as this one. So, and, and I think that's, that's why I got so loud on Twitter. You know, nobody knows exactly what's going on. And I guess yelling into the void is, is the most comforting thing that you can do at that point. And, and so people do. Um, yeah. Twitter you know, is crazy. It really it, is crazy. It, it is. It, it's crazy fun as well at times because now everyone's just talking about washing their pans and how best to do it. So, you know, it, it goes from one end of the spectrum to the next. Yeah. 
But for those people yeah. that uh, are listening and wondering, you know, what we're talking about, uh, the listeners of this show, um, they've never heard me talk about non-KYC coins before, coin joining or anything like that. This is not something that's been uh, kind of forefront to my attention. I know other podcasters out there do a much better job in this arena. And I'm going to give a big shout out to Max on the Bit by Bit podcast because he's very much a forerunner in, in this kind of area. Uh, so f- being educated by yourself uh, over the last, well, ever since Riga, you know, we, we've stayed in touch and I've been in touch with your team as well and trying to figure out what all of this was. And I've spoken to other people uh, outside of Wasabi. Why don't we get down to the nitty gritty of, first of all, uh, what Wasabi is and your belief of why coin joining should just be uh, the default for whenever we are buying or uh, exchanging our sats. Yeah, let's let's go even one level deeper. You know, what is Bitcoin? <laughs> That's yep. already the big question. Okay, right? but, but ultimately, I think Bitcoin is a verification machine. And it, it enables merchants to define, verify, and enforce the rules of the money that they receive in, in exchange for the goods and services that they provide. And so if you if you are selling pizzas, then you should ask yourself, what, what do I want to receive before I'm willing to give up this very precious pizza? Um, and the obvious answer to that is money, but hopefully it's good money and not shitty bad money as, as fiat. Right, so with, with Bitcoin, we basically task our, our robots, our computer, to, to help us with the definition, verification, and enforcement of the monetary rules. And the way that the, our software does it is basically by listening to every other user of the Bitcoin network and, and seeing like, which transactions they make. Right, so you, everyone needs to, to publish the transactions that they make so that everyone else can verify all of the other transactions. And the reason why we do it is that this is the only way that we can ensure that nobody is printing more money than, than they are allowed to. And so this, the, the, the radical transparency of, of the Bitcoin blockchain, that every transaction needs to be public, is because all the merchants, like literally every merchant, needs to verify every transaction of every other merchant in order to be sure that the Bitcoin that he got is valid. And this is, this is a genius system. Like that's why, that's why Bitcoin works. You know, it's, it's not a payment system, it's, it's a verification system. But in order to verify something, you need to know what you're looking at, right? And so, but that's bad, right? Because why should I as a merchant tell everyone else how much money I just earned for my pizza? That was never the case in the physical world. And if, if, if you, Princey, give me a, a gold coin for the pizza, nobody else needs to know, nobody else does know uh, about this transfer that just happened. And that's great. You know, we, we don't have to worry about it uh, because the next guy whom, whom I want to give the gold coin, he will be convinced by the gold coin itself that it's valid. He doesn't need to know the previous transactions of that gold coin. But in Bitcoin, you do fundamentally. Right? And then the big question is, how so these are sensitive personal financial informations these payments these transactions and the big question is do we really need to tell everyone all the details about this transaction 
Uh, and the, the beautiful answer is no. Right? Like, and some of that is inherent in Bitcoin. For example, like your or my name is never mentioned on the Bitcoin blockchain, right? We, we don't deal with, with the quote unquote real world identities. What we deal with instead is private and public key pairs. Right? And here, for example, someone could just register a single or, or create a single private key and, and derive a single public key out of that or a single address and just continuously use the same set of keys for all of his financial transactions. Right? So that's what we know as address reuse. And the reason why this is bad is that now an outside observer knows that the same entity has received numerous different transactions across time. Right? So you can cluster many transactions across years to the same entity and the same person. And then, and then you know how frequently they transact, how much money they receive, when and where they send it to. And all of these things arise from the problem of address reuse that you use the same identifier uh, on, the, on the chain. And an easy solution to that, and, and thankfully this is now quite prevalent in the Bitcoin ecosystem, is just to generate a new set of private and public keys for every payment. Because then these new sets of private keys look completely indistinguishable. They, they're completely random. They're not tied to each other. And so if I create 100 keys and Princey creates 100 keys or addresses, all of them look indistinguishably different. And it's, it's not possible to, to fingerprint which of these two keys actually belong to the same person. And so one, one of the mega tricks in Bitcoin is to just create a new address for every payment. And all of a sudden, it's way more difficult to tie this public information of a transaction to the same person who's, who's doing it. And that's, that's one of the easy tricks that, that you can do. But what we learned then, uh, I guess somewhat later, is that this is still not good enough. Because even if you receive multiple coins to different addresses, if at a later point in time, so, so uh, or you receive coins to different addresses and to an outside observer, another full node verifying the blockchain, this looks indistinguishable. Like he, he doesn't know if this is one person receiving all this money or if it's many different people. However, if at a later point in time, when you want to turn around and spend your money that you received for the goods and services you provided, and here you consolidate you, you take all of these different coins that you received and you spend them in the same transaction, then it becomes very obvious for someone else to see, hey, look, these hundred coins on the blockchain that were previously received on different addresses at different times with different amounts of money, they are now being spent in the same transaction at the very same time. And this reveals to the other person that, oh, look, maybe all of these coins actually belong to the same person. And then this is what we know as the common input ownership heuristic. And then if you see a transaction with, that's spending many coins at the same time, that this is in fact the same user, like a single person owned all, owns all of these coins. And therefore, you know, all of the past transactions of that single user. And that's just not great. So here, the idea of coin joint comes in. Right? And instead of a single user by himself alone, you know, in his basement, uh, forever alone, uh, making a, a Bitcoin transaction where all of the inputs belong to one person, instead, we just team up with a, with a group of other people uh, to, to make a transaction together. 
so to say. And that we, that we all go and, and write a new transaction to the blockchain with hundreds and hundreds of coins on the input side, but each of these coins belong to different people. Uh, or in fact, we don't even know how many of these coins belong to, to, to any one user, or even more, which coins belong to one user. And that's ultimately the gist of, of a coin join, uh, that many users come together to make a transaction together uh, so that it becomes for an outside observer, the verifier of the Bitcoin blockchain, super difficult to find out which coins belong to the same person. And so uh, CoinJoin is in that sense similar to, to not doing address reuse, um, but it, it enables you, well, basically to, to spend your money privately so that nobody really knows of which coins belong to you when, when you make a payment. And the only people really tracking like who, who might own these coins like in any way, shape or form are the chain analysis companies, right? Um, why well, not, do they exist? Not, not really though, no. right? Like, I mean, yes, they're, they're special, let's call them private investigators that do the entire day nothing else than looking on the blockchain and, and seeing how the money moves. Maybe they even collaborate with, with certain KYC exchanges to, to get more metadata and stuff like this. But ultimately, the, like the biggest problem is it's not just the specialized investigators who, who can find this out. Like it's, it's everyone whom you pay, right? Like Princey, you want to get my pizza, right? So, mm -hmm. so now you, you make a transaction all by yourself. Um, and let's say you put on the input side of the transaction, a, a coin from, you know, the, the, the coinbase of block number one, right? Like a really old uh, coin you're, mm -hmm. you're now sending to me. And I can look onto the blockchain and see, hey, look, there's a transaction. It has my address on the output side, but where did the money come from? Well, from the input side. So what's the coin on the input side here? Oh, it's from block number one. Oops, Princey is actually Satoshi. Right? So <laughs> I, the pizza merchant, just figured out that you're a Satoshi. Just because you spent a coin uh, to me for the pizza, right? so I, I know that you are the one who owns the previous one, or at least that's very likely, and so that's not good at all. Right? The huge difference in Bitcoin is that the merchant whom you pay can find out where you got the money from. Or the people, like if, or in other words, like if, if I pay you for uh, whatever, right, then I can track where you spent that money in the future. And right? so this is, this is not great at all. Right? So the, the merchant can spy on the sender and the sender can spy on the merchant. And that's just not a great situation, especially if it's the default for anyone. And so it's, I wish that only the specialist investigators could de-anonymize users on the blockchain. But the sad fact is that anyone can. And that's really dangerous. Yeah, and it's the whole don't trust verify thing, right? Like you said at the beginning, this is the nature of the Bitcoin network. And this is why... Um, it's so different to like the, the fiat system that we have in place at the moment. Exactly, right? In the fiat system, if you would take out your fancy credit card and, and swipe and to buy the pizza, the merchant has no idea of how much money you have or where you got it from. Of, of course, the bank and the credit card provider, they know everything. Yeah, but at everything. least the merchant doesn't, mm -hmm. right? So, and in the Bitcoin sense, well, everyone knows everything. <laughs> and... I don't think that such a glass society where, 
where the default is that everyone knows everything about everyone else, like that does not sound like a free world to me. If I can choose how to reveal myself to others, and if I don't have the power to not tell someone a, a sensitive secret information about myself, if they can just find it out against my will, well, then I'm not a free person, I'm a slave. Does the Lightning Network solve for this in some way? Yeah, the Lightning Network is pretty genius because it fundamentally addresses the problem that everyone needs to verify everything, right? Because first of all, that doesn't scale. If everyone needs to know everything, then we can't have a lot of information in general. Like the, the size of the blockchain is very limited, especially for, for this fact. But with the Lightning Network, we figured out that we only have to open a channel, so to say, and this funding transaction, the opening transaction, that needs to be verified by everyone. But once we have an open channel, we can update the balance of this channel. We can make payments inside this channel without needing to tell anyone about it other than the counterparty of your channel. And so Princey and I, you, you both, uh, we both have a, a channel open together. The opening transaction, let's say I put in a Bitcoin to open a channel to you, that opening transaction is, is on the public blockchain and needs to be verified by everyone. But then if I start sending you 10 sats every second, just by updating our channel balance, then only you and I know about this. And nobody else needs to verify and therefore has the information to de-anonymize when we make the payment and how much money we send and whom sends to whom. So there the Lightning Network, or more, more specifically, just uh, inside a payment channel, you're almost perfectly private. The other party learns a bit and he could snitch on you and publish this information, but it doesn't have to be fundamentally. And then the genius of the Lightning Network is we can, well, we can route a payment across multiple payment channels. Uh, this way, I can pay, let's say, John Vallis, even though I don't have a public channel with him, right? but I have a channel with you and you have a channel to Gigi and Gigi has a channel to John. Right? And now... I can pay John through Princey and Gigi in a way that there's no trace on the public blockchain that I and John ever uh, interacted with each other. And, and in fact, John doesn't even know that I was the one who made the payment. He just knows that, some, that Gigi passed him some money. He doesn't know where Gigi got the money from, or maybe Gigi was the one who actually made the payment. He just knows, hey, look, magical cyberspace money appears. That's nice. So just because of that reason, uh, the Lightning Network is a, a scaling solution because it removes information from the blockchain. So we have more space that everyone can publicly verify. But then this is also a massive privacy benefit because, well, if nobody needs to verify it, then we don't need to send that information to others. And then this information cannot be used against us. But I guess if you've got your, your stack you're not going to be doing your whole stack through through Lightning, right? Those coins that you you want to hold on to for longer term, that's where a, a more elegant solution would be a coin join service. Well, Lightning has trade-offs. And one of the trade-offs is that once you open a channel, you have to stay online because the other party could close the channel and close it in an old state, 
so to say, right? So uh, let's say I open the one Bitcoin channel and I send half a Bitcoin to Princey, uh, but then later I publish on the blockchain the, uh, the transaction where I still get one Bitcoin back. And, and, and the other full nodes on the network don't know about the 0.5 Bitcoin payment that I made to Princey. So they, they won't be able to protect it. So you need to protect yourself by publishing the justice transaction and the transaction that, that tells the other full nodes, hey, look, he just spent money that, that he wasn't allowed to spend. So you can get your money back if someone tries to steal from you, but that means you need to be online and watching. And, and well, you know, an internet connected computer to the Bitcoin blockchain isn't a, isn't a thing that everyone has all the time. And one of the beautiful things of the Bitcoin blockchain per se is you can protect your, just by protecting your keys, can you protect your money? You know, if you have a three or five multi-sig in different jurisdictions, you don't need to be online to know that your money is safe. And there's, uh, as long as your keys are secure, nobody can take the money, full stop. And you don't need to be online to check it. But with the Lightning Network or payment channels in general, after you've used them, you need to be online to make sure that nobody else is stealing from you. And so these are the, the trade-offs in Lightning. And it's all right. Like it's, it's a reasonable trade-off to do, but I wouldn't be comfortable to have that trade-off with all of my money. <laughs> if, if, I need, if, if I'm not online for like a couple of days and someone can take all of my money, ah, that's, that's not so nice. I, I wouldn't mind if that happens to like 0.1% of my stash, right? but if it happens to all of it, I'd be pretty sad. So here's where trade-offs come in and the blockchain is great. Payment channels are also great. And we need to find out the exact use cases of when these technologies help us uh, and, and when they hinder us. Uh, but ultimately, CoinJoin doesn't really have anything to do with the Lightning Network. Like CoinJoin is fundamentally a, a blockchain privacy solution. So it only works on the blockchain itself. Uh, so this means that you can make a CoinJoin to open a Lightning channel, or you can, at least in theory, make a CoinJoin to close a Lightning channel. Uh, and that's, that's great, right? So basically any transaction that we see on the Bitcoin blockchain, almost any transaction, could have been done inside a coin join to make it much more difficult to find out who is spending whom. Right. Okay. So now let's um, let's talk about the uh, the the lead up to the announcement of the uh, the blacklisting. Um, everything's going fine, right? At Wasabi, uh, you've got um, the the umbrella. The name of the company that sits above Wasabi is uh, ZK Snacks. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. All oh, right. You asked at the very beginning of what, what is actually Wasabi. <laughs> so let's get back to that <laughs> long preamble. <laughs> but Wasabi Wallet is just software. Right? It's, it's a software published under the MIT license written in C-sharp. And the, the task of the software is to be a Bitcoin wallet. And so it, it generates a set of private keys and calculates your addresses. It connects to the Bitcoin blockchain to find out if on the blockchain there is a coin with your address on it. Basically, it finds out how much money you have, and then it helps you to spend that money. You can create a new transaction 
with with your coins on the input side and and the payment addresses that you want to make on the output side and it it does this the cryptographic signing for you right? that's basically the gist of wasabi wallet like it's like any other bitcoin wallet you generate keys you find out how much money is on there and then you can spend it however it has a couple really cool additional features under the hood to make sure that in this process you reveal as little information about yourself as is reasonable or, or possible almost and so um like generating private keys is very private for I guess every Bitcoin wallet, otherwise it fundamentally is broken. So we don't improve much on that. But for example, on, on finding out how much money you have, here we pioneered, we're the first software wallet to do that, the first lightweight software wallet that's not a full node to do that privately. Um, so the way that other wallets do it by, is just by sending your set of addresses to someone else's full node and asking that guy, hey, can you please check how much money is on that addresses? And tell me that. And the the big problem here is obviously that that person now knows your addresses, and he might even know that these ten addresses belong to the same person. Or even worse, you give them your extended public key, and then he knows these billions and billions and billions of addresses belong to the same person. So the the way that Wasabi solves this is by this concept of a block filter. Instead of you sending your addresses to someone else that someone else sends you a, a really compact block filter, like a, a rather small piece of data. And with the small piece of data, you can check locally on your own computer, and Wasabi does that automatically, if in this block is a transaction by you, like that includes your address. And if yes, then you can go to the Bitcoin network and download the entire block, of, like that block number, from that full node um, to, to get the entire block, which you then locally can parse through to find your transaction with, to your address. So this is a way that you can find out the address or the transaction that pays you or where you spent the money to someone else, but you do it without telling your address to someone else. Big problem with this approach is it takes a lot of time and you need to download a lot of data. Right? So it's a lot more efficient to just send someone else your address and, tr and trust them to not reveal that information. But obviously, we don't want to trust others with such critical pieces of information. So arguably, that, that bandwidth and time cost is all right. So this is why Wasabi does it. Uh, on, on top of that, another majorly important feature uh, is a Tor integration. And so when, when you sign an, an internet contract with your internet service provider, they know your name, they know where you live, and they assign you a public IP address. And so when you talk to someone else's computer over the internet then, they learn your IP address as well. And this IP address usually doesn't change. And so for, for every time you communicate with someone else, you reveal that, hey, this is me living here talking to you. And that's not good either. Right? Because then if, if uh, again, Princey gives me that coin from block number one, then I know that his IP address is actually Satoshi. And that's not a nice thing because I can find out whom, like, who, who's, whose identity is, is tied to this IP address. So with the Tor anonymity network, and that exists long before Bitcoin, you can 
you can route your packages through a network, similar how you do routing in the Lightning Network. You know, instead of me talking directly uh, to, to John, let's say, I talk to Daniel, Daniel talks to Gigi, Gigi talks to John. And, and then John doesn't exactly know which IP address sent him that message. He only knows that Gigi's IP address sent it to him, but he doesn't know how many people behind Gigi uh, were there or, or which person it actually was. Uh, so this is what Tor gives you. It gives you a way to, to obfuscate, to hide your IP address, while then also giving you the power to change your, your identifier. Right? So I, if I want to talk to John, I can take the route Princey Gigi John, or I could take the route Breedlove Sailor John. And all of a sudden, John gets two messages from me, but one time he gets it from Gigi, and the other time he gets it from Sailor. And so there are two different identities now talking to him, but it's fundamentally me. And that's what Tor enables you as well, right? You can spin up, for all intents and purposes, unlimited numbers of identities to do these types of communication with. So, for example, uh, when, uh, when we download Bitcoin blocks from the peer-to-peer -peer network, we do that with different Tor identities in Wasabi, right? So that it, it, it's not obvious which person is interested in all of these blocks. But for each block, there's a different identity, uh, Tor identity, and that helps majorly with improving the privacy. So those are the first two major improvements of Wasabi. One is an anonymous way to find out how much money you have. And the other is a really, really sophisticated integration of the Tor anonymity network to hide your IP address and give you a bunch of different identities. And then the third thing is this whole coin join magic, right? that, that uh, you team up with hundreds of others of users to make a transaction together. Uh, and this basically hides the fact of which specific inputs belong to you. And so you received a lot of coins and now you want to spend them all at once. But if you do it with hundreds of others inputs in this transaction, and you, let's say, have five inputs out of 500, then it becomes very difficult for any outside observer, or even for the participants inside this coin join, to find out that these specific five coins belong to the same person. Right? So that's, that's one thing that the coin join helps you with. Uh, but then it also helps you with which outputs did you get? Because not just are there 500 inputs, there are also 500 outputs. And let's say you get three of those outputs, but which of them? Well, nobody really knows. Um, and this is the, the third major pillar of Wasabi Wallet to establish a blockchain level privacy with the use of, of coin joins to ensure that the person whom you pay doesn't know how much money you have or where you got it. Right? Or the, the person who pays you doesn't know where you're going to spend your money in the future or how much other money you have. And to, to establish a, a decent sense of, of privacy that is at the core of what it means to be human and to enable that in the Bitcoin network. And the, the amazing thing is now we have this Bitcoin, this, this publicly verifiable money system, but we can use it in a quote unquote completely anonymous way. So everyone can still verify what's going on, but nobody actually knows what's going on. Uh, and that's a pretty genius innovation in, in my mind.
Yeah, it's so much to get your head around, but what you have made it very easy because I've been playing around with the software and uh, I was handheld through the process. Big shout out to uh, to Thibaut, um, who was helping me with that. Um, it's a, a new world for me, Max. You're you're pulling me into this, you know, side rabbit warren by the lapels, and uh, you've been screaming at me for years, like Princey, you've got to take privacy more, you know. Um, serious, as has uh, Max and, and Bitcoin Q&A as well. So hats off to you guys. Um, I have used it. I, I did find it pretty easy. I think there it was a little slow, but I think that was because there were some Tor problems. Were there some kind of uh, attacks or something on Tor that I wasn't aware of what was going on there? Yeah, so... I mean, first of all, the, the UX was one of the biggest problems in Wasabi 1.0. You know, I've, I've onboarded hundreds of users to Wasabi 1.0, actually sitting next to them and looking at them when they use the software. And man, not a single person knew what was going on. And not a single person was using it correctly. <laughs> so that was bad. That was really, really bad. Uh, and it... That was what we wanted to solve with 2.0. We wanted to solve many things with 2.0, but, but the user experience was definitely one of them. Um, and so the, what, what changed basically now is that you no longer need to know what is a UTXO, what is a, an extended public key, what is Tor, you know, all of these things. Fundamentally, the user no longer needs to know in order to use the software correctly. Um, it, we've, we've abstracted a lot of the complexities and, and put them in a black box, so to say, so that the, the ultimate user experience for you is to receive money, to wait, and then to spend money. And that's it. You don't need to know what a coin is, what a coin join is, what Tor is, nothing. Receive, wait, and spend. And so the biggest hurdle that we now have in the 2.0 UX is that sometimes you have to wait a bit longer Right? Like what happened with you, there's many reasons why you would have to wait longer. But ultimately, you really just have to wait and keep the computer running and Wasabi running. So for, for people like myself that you know, want to play around with it and have uh, some uh, coins on a, on, a, on a hardware wallet in part of their legacy stack, uh, it's just as simple as going to wasabiwallet.io, downloading the client, creating a, um, a wallet and just sending across some sats from, from your stash just to see the thing work, just to see it get received in your Wasabi wallet on your desktop. And then to wait for uh, a coin join, you just hit the little play button at the bottom there and it just says waiting for other participants. And this might take anywhere between one and 10 minutes. Then it just coin joins automatically for you and spits them back out onto your um, onto your wallet as uh i don't want to use these terms like washed or cleaned you know they're legacy they're, they're, um wh what would you say what 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 are those coins that come back they're 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 not non-kyc but they are what well so the the coins that you had on your ledger they they have a lot of metadata associated with them, like who 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 received them, like or you know who bought them if you use them at the KYC exchange, and and when were they received, 
And, and when were they sent from Ledger to Wasabi, so to say? Like this information, the old coin has associated with it. Those new coins that you receive in a, after a coin join, that's, well, that removed all of this metadata. It's no longer obvious that this coin belongs to the same person who bought on this KYC exchange and stored them on the ledger and then moved them to Wasabi. It, 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 there's a small chance that this, that, uh, that this is the same person, but it's like one out of 500, so to say, um, it, uh, depending on the number of inputs and outputs, by the way. Uh, so it's, it's basically a coin where we've removed a lot of metadata. We've also added some metadata. Right now, when you look at a coin from the output side of a coin join, well, you see that it's from a coin join because there are like 400 inputs and 400 outputs in this transaction. So we've removed some metadata, the metadata that when you bought the coin or, or uh, from which KYC exchange you bought it, stuff like this, but we added the metadata that someone here was using Wasabi. So it's, you know, that's the thing then. UTXOs in Bitcoin are not fungible. They are not, they're unique snowflakes, very special. <laughs> you know, they, they have a unique uh, public key or address. They have a unique amount. They have a unique transaction ID. They're in a unique block. You know, like two coins just are never exactly the same fundamentally because well, that's, that's, that's what money is, right? Two gold coins are not the same. They're two different gold coins. Um, and the same is with Bitcoin UTXOs. Right. The, but the cool thing is that, that now we have a way to, to at least remove the old transaction history from the new coins that you got. So let's, um, let's now fast forward to the announcement that um, was made on Twitter that started uh, all of the, um, the backlash. And uh, you, it was tweeted on the uh, yeah, 13th of March, 2022. And it's, it's just one sentence. Uh, the ZK Snacks coordinator will start refusing certain UTXOs from regist registering to coin joins, which the, some very loud people in the community saw that as Wasabi uh, bending the knee to um, regulators. Could you tell us what was going down before the lead up to, to that tweet? Yes. So, first of all, okay, what's CK Snacks? I think that needs to be clarified. CK Snacks is a company that was started by Adam Fixor back in 2018, I think, uh, with the specific goal of funding free software development of Wasabi Wallet. So, this company is hiring a bunch of developers, researchers, UX designers, marketing guys, all of this right, to help make Wasabi better. So what is Wasabi? Wasabi is just free and open source software. So as you said, right, Wasabi bends the knee. No, Wasabi doesn't have knees. Wasabi is ones and zeros. Right? <laughs> um, uh, but then the big question is, how does CK Snack get all that money that it just gives out to developers? Uh, and the, the trick is CK Snacks as a company owns a computer and it runs software on that computer, uh, specifically the Wasabi wallet backend. And so the company is running the software that it funds to create, uh, but specifically the backend part. Now, what is the backend part of Wasabi wallet? 
first of all, this is the place where you get those compact block filters that we talked about earlier. Right? So here you get a tiny representation of the block that you can use to find out if in this block is a transaction that pays you. And right? so this, this is the first thing. This, this company helps you to find out how much money you have without the company learning which addresses you actually own. Um, the other thing is small things like the, the fiat exchange rate. You know, how much is a Bitcoin worth currently? Uh, the company tells you that, or that, that backend server tells you. Um, another thing is, what's the fee rate currently? You know, like what's, what's up in the mempool? Is it full? Is it empty? What's a, how much do you have to pay to get into a confirmed block? Uh, and then the third thing, and of course the most important one is, that this company or this backend is quote unquote the chat room. It's a group chat room where all of the users who want to coin join come in the chat room uh, to negotiate or coordinate which coin join transaction they want to sign. And so a, a coin join coordinator is fundamentally a group chat provider where, but it's a very specific group chat, right? You can't send pictures and talk about what you did last night. All you talk about is specifically which coin join or which Bitcoin transaction are we creating and which are we signing? Because, uh, right, so with a coin join transaction, there's hundreds of inputs and a Bitcoin transaction is only valid if all of the inputs sign the exact same transaction. And if, if one of the inputs doesn't sign or one of the inputs signs a transaction that's slightly different, then this is fundamentally not a valid Bitcoin transaction and it will not get confirmed on the blockchain. So this is ultimately a consensus problem. We have hundreds of users and they all need to agree on signing the exact same transaction. Well, and how do you find consensus? <laughs> the easy way is to just do it centralized. You know, we, we have one, one coordinator who tells the other guys of this is the transaction that we're signing. And then you as a, a user can say yes or no, um, basically. Th there are ways that you can coordinate which transaction to sign without there being one special person or coordinator. These are called the decentralized coin join coordination protocols. So far, they only exist in theory. Uh, Tim Ruffings, uh, a cryptographer of, of Blockstream, did some amazing research on how to do it. It's bloody difficult. Like doing things decentralized works very slowly, very expensively, and not at scale. Uh, so that's why we decided from the very beginning to build a centralized coin join coordination consensus protocol right? that, that we rely on one person or one computer to basically tell us this is the transaction that everyone else is signing to. So please verify that it does what you want and then sign it. Right? But sign this specific transaction. Don't change the order of inputs or outputs, for example. Right? This is the correct order. Um, and so that's the, the third and the final service that that's the Wasabi backend code provides you, um, that, that coordination of the coin join transaction. Um, yeah, and, and so, oh yeah, and, and for the provision of the service, uh, the, the coordinator can charge a fee, right? So he can basically say that if you do not pay me a 0.3% fee, 
then I do not allow you to go into my chat group. And so here we already have a, a, a blacklisting, basically. All the people who don't pay 0.3% in fees for their fresh Bitcoin, they, will, they are not allowed to enter the chat room. That's the first blacklisting that's happening, right? The second blacklisting that's happening is basically um, if, so if you are part in a coin join, but then you do not sign the transaction, right? So you register your inputs, you register your outputs, but then your inputs do not sign this coin join transaction, then you're basically misbehaving, so to say. Um, and this is another reason why the coordinator might ban you. And right? he bans you for when you don't when you don't do your responsibility in the protocol, specifically signing this transaction. Now, there's many reasons why you might not sign the transaction. The most common thing is because Tor is super slow uh, and you just didn't receive yet all the information uh, that you needed in order to sign, or you got all that and you made the signature and you send it to the coordinator, but that, that signature never arrived at the coordinator. And so this is what happens in most cases when people don't sign. Their interconnection, internet connection is quite bad. However, it could also be that, that you're an asshole and you don't like the, that other people make coin joins. And so you register your coins in the coin join, but then you just never sign. And again, if there is one input in the coin join transaction that does not sign, it's not a valid transaction. So this is a denial of service attack. And you can register coins not sign, and then nobody can coin join. So what do we do with people that don't behave like this? Well, we blacklist them. We ban them from not being allowed inside the coin join uh, coordinator. And so this is from day one, these two things, these two blacklisting things have always existed. And right? so it's, um, and it's a good thing, right? You, as, as a company, you, you want to enforce that people pay you for the service that you do. And if they don't pay, well, you don't provide the service, obviously. And then if they misbehave, then you can also kick them out, um, right? Because fundamentally, what this is, is your own computer, right? Like the, the company, CK Snacks, has its own computer and it graciously allows other people to join on, their, on, on this computer and, and write some messages there, right? But they don't have to. The company could blacklist everyone and, and shut down the computer entirely if they want to because it's their computer, right? And now what this announcement refers to is that on top of these two existing blacklisting things or, or reasons, we, we add a third one. Uh, and this is basically the, the, that, that some coins just get denied based on their transaction history and based on the metadata that is associated with, with this coin. And so um, it's, it's, it's basically changing the, let's say, consensus rules of Bitcoin to some extent. Before, as long as you had a coin valid according to the Bitcoin consensus rule, you could register him if you paid your fees and if uh, you, you actually signed the transaction. However, now there's some additional metadata, let's say, that will also prevent you from registering this coin with this specific coordinator, right? So this is, was a, a company decision of CK Snacks, and it does not at all affect Wasabi as a software. Wasabi doesn't make decisions. 
the users of Wasabi make decisions. And CK Snacks is just one user of the backend. There are many other users of the backend. Well, not that many, but at least a couple. Um, and yeah, so there, that's basically it. So the, what was kind of inferred was that there was a, you know, a, a, a regulation kind of overbearance passed down onto the company uh, because it's based in Gibraltar and the regulators there wanted assurance that any coins sent in were going to be passed through a chain analysis company to make sure that those coins were quote unquote uh, clean or not tainted or not uh, terrorist coins or money laundering or anything like that. Is that the case? I mean, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but from, from what I know, like there's very little existing regulations for a coin join coordinator per se, because fundamentally, again, it's just a chat room and people are free to talk to whomever they want about whatever they want, at least in most reasonable jurisdictions. Right? Um, and the, the main, or there, there were many reasons for it, but, but one of one of the more compelling ones is that users requested this. Like the, this was one of the number one priority or number one feedbacks that I got from, from users, both private individuals as well as companies that, hey, I just don't want to uh, intermingle my coins with, with criminals, so to say, um, because that, that gives me a bad rap. My compliance department will, will not like it and such. Um, and, uh, we, for example, saw then that a lot of users of coin joins got got banned or blacklisted from other companies. And so let's say you have an account at an exchange and you deposit money there all the time and it's just you know your 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 regular coins that you received from someone in the past, you directly deposit them to the to the exchange and that's all right. But then if you make a coin join in the past and you deposit that coin into, into the exchange that all of a sudden they blacklist you from that service. And, and so we asked the exchanges of, hey, what's going on here? Why, why are you harassing users of specific transaction formats? That doesn't really make sense. And, and the answer that we got was, well, because there is, a, there is a decent chance that maybe there was a criminal involved here, right? because maybe on the input side was a coin that, that they saw as, okay, that's a high risk, Coin. We, we know that it comes from, I don't know, North Korean child traffickers or whatever, and we just don't want to do business with people like that. Um, and well, that's, I've, to me, fundamentally, that's, that's all right. Again, like a, a business has, or an entrepreneur has totally the right to choose whomever he wants to be his customer. And I like to see it as, as, as a restaurant, right? If you have a restaurant, uh, then you can say, hey, the dress code in this restaurant is suit and tie. If you come with, with sweatpants and hoodie, I will not let you in my restaurant. Why? Well, there are many reasons for it. Maybe because other customers want to feel special, you know, and want to be in an, in an area where everyone walks around in suit and tie. You know, maybe that just gives the extra ambience. It enables me to charge much more money to, uh, from, my, from these customers. Um, whatever, maybe the, maybe the owner really hates sweatpants and he doesn't even care about his customers. He just says, 
I, I don't work if I see sweatpants, full stop. You know, like there can be many, many reasons of why an entrepreneur chooses not to work with, with a certain customer. Um, and again, CK Snacks is just a business running Wasabi code and they can choose whom they want to allow uh, on, to talk on their computer uh, and whom not. Um, the, the great thing is users have a choice to not do business with that entrepreneur, right? If, if you think it's a bad idea that, that we don't allow criminals to talk with our coordinator, well, then, then don't use our coordinator. You know, use someone else's coordinator to communicate with. Um, or in fact, run your own coordinator. Right? The code is free and open source, MIT license. We cannot, we don't want to stop you from running this code yourself. Um, do it, you know, and yeah, that's basically it. So if anybody did want to, I mean, because it's free open source, uh, let's say... Uh... John and Gigi and myself, we want to go and move off to some uh, friendly jurisdiction and uh, live the high life. We can just download your code. We can start uh, JGD coin join services and charge a slightly smaller fee for the, uh, the coin joining and we're in business. Sure. Or charge a bigger fee. Charge no <laughs> fee at all. You know, it's your computer. You can do with it what you want. So why is nobody else offering these services then? Well, I know they are, but like, why is there not a rush into this market? To be honest, I don't know. It kind of baffles me um, because it's a great business. Like, it's fun, <laughs> it's it's easy, and people pay you for it. I I wonder that frequently. Like, why 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 aren't there more other coordinators? Uh, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, I'm not complaining. Because that means the company earns more money, right? Um, but yeah, it's like the code is out there. It's it's really just running code. Like, Princey, you could figure out how to run a coordinator. Like, seriously, <laughs> it's not technically <laughs> difficult. So, if anybody out there listening does have these problems with the idea that uh, they don't like the fact that. You've blacklisted. You've announced this um, blacklisting uh, thing. There's there's three steps to that blacklisting. Obviously, the two to begin with are very um, understandable. If you're not going to pay your fees and if you're not going to pay by the rules, then like it's just pointless. Don't don't come use the service. Uh, the third one is kind of like um, the gray area where people are getting held up on this idea that uh, due to um, regulations, your um, now running the um the the inputs through a chain analysis chain analysis company uh but they could build their own company in a region where they not going to be over regulated and not insist on on running that through uh the chain analysis uh, analysis company okay Mm -hmm. But again, it's it's not even that much about the regulation. It's it's really just what do customers want. And I think way more people are happy with the decision that we made than unhappy. Like, sure, bunch of cypherpunks aren't happy. And I totally get them. Totally. Like, And I share all of those concerns. Right? However, on the other hand, I spoke with so many people who were like, yeah, that's a good move. I like that. Now I'm willing to coin join my money with you. Um, and I mean, that's, that's great too, right? So ultimately, I think the, the, 
how do you call that? Like the, like the, the, the judgment on our decision here is up to our customers. If they like what we're doing, they'll continue using our services. And if they really don't like to, then they'll stop. But you know, it's 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 not that we're out of customers since that announcement. And in, in fact, our, our volumes have have actually increased. I mean, it's it's very anecdotal evidence, uh, correlation or causation, you know. But but ultimately, we like we're we're still running. You know, people are still coming to our restaurant, even though we have a quote unquote dress code. Maybe they're coming especially because we have that dress code. Ultimately, I don't know. Um, and and that's why that's why I like the the free market. You know, we'll 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 see other coordinators pop up, and they will have other dress code rules, so to say, and, and we'll see how successful or or not successful they are. Um, and, and there has to be yeah. more coming, right? Because the the volume is coming. If if people like myself now are getting swayed on the idea that I, I need to start looking at this a little bit closer, I'm not the only one. Uh, there, there are a lot of people out there that have probably been thinking about this for, uh, I don't know, six, nine months, maybe even a year. Uh, it's like everything in Bitcoin. It takes a little time for everybody to understand the, the trade-offs and the benefits. Uh, so if the volume keeps coming, then competitors will obviously start emerging. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, uh, how... The, the big question is like, how, how can they compete? Um, and I mean, on, on one, it's it's different dress code and different blacklisting rules. That's definitely one. But the, the other more way more important thing is on the, the, the actual privacy guarantees that they provide. And Anonymity Loves Company, it's a great research paper from the 1990s. Uh, and it basically says that your, your anonymity set, the, the, the quantity of privacy that you get roughly speaking, is the size of the crowd. And if you're the only one in, in, uh, with hood up and mask and sunglasses, then people can, and everyone else is walking around in, in shirts and t-shirts, then they can point you out, hey, look at that weird guy with the mask. But if everyone is wearing hoodie and mask and sunglasses, then you can no longer point out, hey, look, that guy, that guy with the hoodie and glasses, because there's hundreds of them. So which one guy do you mean? That's, that's the size of the crowd. That's your anonymity set. And we have that in a CoinJoin provider as well. And so the, the CK Snacks CoinJoin coordinator, it attracts thousands of Bitcoin every month from, from new users. And well, that's the size of the crowd. And if you start a brand new coordinator that's completely anonymous uh, or, or like not really advertised, well, then you're maybe going to get half a Bitcoin in a month, and, and that's you, you know? Uh, but that's a very, very small size of the crowd. And that means not just that the quality of the privacy is substantially less, also the quality of the user experience is substantially less. You know, when we started with our CK Snacks coordinator back in 2018, we had a coin join like every week or every two weeks, and it was tiny, right? So if you wanted to make a coin join, you had to wait many days in order to be in one. Versus by now, we're having a coin join like once every 10 minutes or 30 minutes. So you don't need to wait for a long time. So we have much more coin joins and much bigger coin joins. And that's fundamentally not just better privacy, but also better user experience. Because as I said, receive, wait, spend. That's the UX journey. 
if the wait and the waiting part is the only friction. And there is a massive difference between needing to wait a week versus needing to wait 30 minutes. And did ZK Snacks have changed jurisdiction? Have I got that right? Uh, yes, it did. Okay. That's a good thing, I suppose. What, what was the thinking behind that? Well, numerous things. You know, we, like companies frequently change jurisdictions and we're, we're always looking for places that, that are more accompanying for us. Um, and, and we're still on, on the lookout for, for other company structures that, that work better for us. It's, you know, it's an ongoing work in progress, I'd say. So it's um, just a limited company. Do you have, uh, is it fully remote or do you have people on the ground? Uh, we, it's mainly remote. You know, we have right. people from Argentina to Philippines working on the project, like from, from everywhere. Uh, and so we're first and foremost remote and on GitHub. Uh, and well, that's, that's where the work gets done. Uh, we do have, however, a, a couple places in Meetspace where, where we like to gather. Uh, one of them is in, in Budapest, uh, where, where we do have an office. And that's just a nice place to hang out at and, and work together in Meetspace. Uh, and then we want to get together, well, at least once a year, almost the entire, like as, as many from the team as possible. Um, and we, we did that, I don't know, Lisbon, Taiwan, Thailand, Riga, where else? Prague, we did one. Many places, you know, where, uh, and sometimes it's the whole team, sometimes it's a small dedicated group meeting for a small dedicated reason. Um, we're a pretty, I guess, flexible company. Uh, ultimately, I don't care where the people are from uh, as long as they do useful work, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So where, where is the business listed and what were the reasons for, for choosing that place? Uh, Seychelles uh, currently. And the, the exact reasons, I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not that familiar with all the, all the details of that. There, there were many reasons for it. And we looked mm -hmm. at many different jurisdictions. I mean, what, what we also did is we, we reached out to, to numerous different regulators uh, like the, the, the FinCEN and other equivalent uh, um, well, regulators. And we, we asked them for a, how do you call it? A no action letter or something like this, like a, a, a classification of, hey, are we like, do, do you regulate us? You know, uh, And uh, all of those financial service provider regulations came back with no, um, you're, you're not a financial service provider, you're a communications provider. So no, you do not have to register with us. Um, and, and you do not fall under all those financial service provider, money service provider um, rules, right? Like, so fundamentally, uh, like the, and the main reason why that is, is because we don't touch users' money. Like, we're, we're, we, we don't know your private keys. We, we have no way of, of taking the money from you or of, of tricking you into spending it to somewhere that, that you don't want. Like, ultimately, those are your keys. And you're fully responsible over your own money, uh, and and we are not. Um, so, the, yeah, like the fact that we are a communications service provider, uh, like definitely changes the 
the the amount of regulation that that is available or, or existent. Okay, interesting. Just because there are a lot of companies out there, a lot of entrepreneurs that are you know trying to start a business and wondering where's the friendliest location, uh, it's good to have this kind of information to to help other people out there building the space. So, yeah, very cool. Um, all right, yeah, I got a question for you. Um, my first attempt to coin join, I was banned and I had to wait for 24 hours and I was shitting myself because I thought, Oh shit, I've got a bad coin in here somewhere. Uh, it turned out, I think it was just a tour problem and it was slow. And perhaps I tried too many times. Would, would that be the case in that instance? Yeah, probably. Um, like there, again, the, the, the biggest issue for, for us in terms of reliability is definitely the Tor network. Um, uh, and that is in part because it's under active denial of service attack, uh, which was funny, you know, we, we've been working on, again, Wasabi 2.0 release for like two or three years. And then finally we were at the point where like, okay, guys, this is, this is getting there. This is pretty good. Maybe we can press the button and ship it. And then we did press the button and ship it and have a big party and everything. And we realized, oh shit, coin joins aren't happening. Like none in the first day, none in the second day, none in the third day. And then oh, we're like, shit. okay, something's up. <laughs> and and the, the firefighting started uh, and, and everyone was, was screaming and, and yelling and running around in circles. Um, until I uh, like, I, I think I asked on Twitter like, Guys, do you know do you know what's up? <laughs> and someone said, "Yeah, by the way, Tor is under an active denial of service attack. It started a couple of days before you guys released, and we had no idea about it." Um, yeah, and it turns out that Wasabi 2.0 is even more of a crazy and heavy Tor user as is the uh, as is Wasabi 1.0, and it we just we couldn't like Tor was not as reliable as uh, as our code could use it um and well we we fixed then we did a lot of hot fixes on the on the back end side to make that a, a bit less or a bit more reliable and that helped a little bit uh but still not good enough and then we pushed a hot fix for the client side that improved the tour reliability substantially and then that made it work better and better and we could slowly creep up you know we had the first coin join rounds of like 50 inputs or something and and then they were like 70 inputs or 90 inputs 100 inputs and ultimately now we like after numerous releases that improved the tor reliability plus a bunch of additional back-end improvements and now we have like a hard minimum of 150 coin joints um, and and currently we frequently see coin joints with uh, 300 350 inputs um, so that's like by, by now stability yeah. has improved a lot, but the problem is still like, we get like, let's say uh, we get many users involved who want to register, let's say 500 inputs, but many of those individual inputs from, from those users fail to provide a signature in time. And then we only succeed with 300 inputs. And so we drop from 500 to 300, rough example, not really accurate, but. Uh, that just means that almost everyone who, who's doing a coin join fails to sign for at least one or two of those coins. And, and 
if you have a wallet with like 20 coins, it doesn't really matter if one or two gets blocked uh, for a while because you still can coin join with the others. But if you just made your first transaction into Wasabi and you only have one coin registered and that one coin fails to sign, well, then you're screwed because you have no other coins to, to coin join with. And I think that was specifically what happened to you. Right? Mm. You just, out of bad luck, you had a bad Tor circuit, a, a route to the Tor network that was on, at least one of those nodes was under active, routing nodes was under active denial of service attack and was, was crashing. And so they, they lost your package and it never arrived at the coordinator. And then again, the coordinator, in order to enable a, a service for the other users, he's just going to ban you. Right. Um, I think like you need to fail to sign at least twice, and mm -hmm. then we only ban you for two hours. But if you fail to sign a third time or so, we increase the, the timeout mm -hmm. um, right. of, of ban. So it's nothing um, that um, I, I personally was doing. It was just the, no. the coordinator was asking the Wasabi wallet for a signature, but that message wasn't getting back to my computer because the Tor network was under... Uh, I could have asked a stupid question. Denial of service attack. So what's going on in a denial of service attack? Well, there's... I mean, it's literally what it says, right? Someone denies you the service. So right. you have a, a service that's that's being provided, right? So in the CoinJoin example, the service is to coordinate a successful signing ceremony over a huge transaction. That's the service. How can you deny the service by, for example, plugging out the power cable of the coordinator computer? Because <laughs> then it cannot provide a service, right? So first thing, or or cutting the internet cables to the com coordinator computer. Right? or making a, 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 a like CPU overload, you know, just send millions and millions of packages to the server so that his compute power is, is, is at 100%. So he cannot compute the actual things that, that he needs to compute in order to produce the service. It's another way. Or then, of course, to, um, to, not, to not sign an input of the coin join. That's another denial of service. Uh, because again, a coin join is only valid if everyone signs. And if one doesn't sign, then it's not valid anymore. Uh, and then it's, if there's no valid transaction, it's a denial of service. And so there's many, many, many denial of service problems in, in Wasabi. And then on top of that, or, or uh, tenden tendentially to it, we have denial of service attacks on the Tor network. Mm -hmm. And so who, who would be doing uh, they that? Can be... that? That's what I can't figure out. What, why would people just be randomly attacking the Tor network? It, it, and it, for what reason? Well, I guess because people don't want you to have privacy, I guess. People want to spy on you. And when, when you're actively using a service that, that, imp that decreases the amount of information that you reveal about yourself, well, that's quote unquote undesirable. And then if you have a lot of money, just throw it at, at attacking. You know, mm -hmm. people, are, people are dicks sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the, you know, the, especially on the anonymous internet, you know, where, when, you can, when you can just talk to any other computer on the internet uh, and well, then it's, it's easy for, for someone to just buy a bunch of different computers and, for example, all at the same time talk to your computer 
so that he's completely overloaded with, with those messages. Um, and well, the we can't really ask people nicely to stop that because well, they're they're idiots, so they won't stop if we ask them nicely. So the solution is to to build technologies and protocols and security procedures that make such attacks simply impossible. Like, I don't know, use a firewall. Right? Tell your computer, hey, if you see a message coming in from any IP address other than my own IP address, then don't like drop it. Don't even read the package. Don't accept those connections. And, and all of a sudden, only your phone can talk to your computer, for example. And so everyone else cannot talk to your computer, and so they cannot denial of service attack it. They can also not read what's on your website, <laughs> mm -hmm. but at least they can't attack you. <laughs> and, and there's many, many, many different ways that we can improve the denial of service aspect. And by the way, also for Bitcoin full nodes, right? Like mm -hmm. your Bitcoin full node is a publicly reachable computer that talks to anonymous other computers. And people don't like Bitcoin. People don't like you running a Bitcoin full node. So sure, your full node is under constant attack, a barrage of nonstop attacks. It's just that the Bitcoin core contributors kind of know what they're doing. And they've built numerous really genius protocols to, to make these types of attacks at least a lot more expensive, if not entirely impossible. It's just very, very advanced engineering that goes into this. It's a, it's a super difficult problem working in such adversarial environments. Well, I guess without the attacks, we wouldn't have figured out how to, you know, make it uh, as strong as it is. And it's always going to be, uh, you know, playing catch up. Um, yeah. What happens? Would be boring now? otherwise, you know. Yeah, of course. What <laughs> What happens though? Like worst case scenario, one of us has decided we're going to try out the um, the, the Wasabi coin joint. We send in the transaction. Bam! It comes back with a blacklist what what does that look like I, I get a message that says you're not allowed you're banned or you're blacklisted and that's it there's no further information yeah basically i think so i've so. got to assume um, that that coin that i've tried to send in has been blacklisted for worst case scenario it's been linked to somehow to some kind of uh, nefarious activity in the past and I am left holding the baby. What do I now do with that coin? Well, the beautiful thing is, you're still the only one who knows that private key. So you can still sign a transaction by yourself or with another coordinator, right? But at least by yourself, you can sign a transaction to spend that coin. And then you can pay a miner to include that transaction into a block. And even if the miner starts censoring you, well, you can buy your own hash rate uh, and, and hash over a candidate block that includes this transaction. Now the, like, the reason why Bitcoin is censorship resistant is because you can bribe the miners to include your transaction, even though other people are censoring you. And, and because there is an open market that nobody can stop you from becoming a miner yourself. So see, the, the Wasabi CoinJoin coordinator has no way of stopping you from spending your money as you see fit. The only thing that he can stop you is from, from using its own com computer to talk to other users. Right? But we, um, and that, that's, that's by design. Right? Um, 
which is very different to, for example, when you deposit uh, your money to an exchange, let's say, and all the exchanges are doing similar, even more, more strong uh, uh, chain analysis on, on those coins. But then at that point, they are in full control over the coin. They know the private key to it. You don't. And so if they decide to blacklist you after you deposit it, well, there's really nothing that, that you can do about it. Um, but, but in Wasabi, again, it's non-custodial. You're always in full control of, over your, your coins and, and your keys. Uh, and just spend it as you would any other um, transaction or any other coin. So I get the message back. It says, this is blacklisted. Uh, I could just send it straight back to uh, my wallet uh, and put a high fee on it just to make sure it gets through the, the next block. And it's going to be back in my wallet as a, a different coin? Well, either you send it to yourself or you send it to someone else. Right? You buy pizza with it and hope mm -hmm. that the pizza merchant doesn't do these types of analysis. You know, or donate it to Tor Project or any other like Electronic Frontier Foundation or any other great human rights foundation or whatever. Um, I guess they, <laughs> I'm not sure what, what these people do when, when they get donations from, from criminal sources uh, or, or uh, undesirable UTXOs. I don't think they, I don't know, maybe they send you the money back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And who gets to decide that it was uh, from a nefarious uh, kind of illicit activity in the first place? Yeah, well, like in ultimately the, the, the person who received the money or, or the person who provides you the service, um, that's it's up to him, you know? And, and then it depends on what type of, so first of all, what type of, internal morals does that person or company have? Uh, and then the other thing is what's, what's the regulation that that company or person is obliged to follow? Uh, and here it just depends, I guess. There's like, there's so much complexity here. It's super difficult to make an absolute statement. Mm. I guess, I mean, the chain analysis companies aren't going anywhere either. They're just going to get uh, more overbearing did you feel that or not no i don't think they'll go anywhere like private investigators have existed since forever and they look into publicly available information it's not like the blockchain is going anywhere like mm. bitcoin will continue to exist block will continue to be produced people will continue to look at them and make th their own decisions based on what they see um, i don't think there's ways around it i mean there's ways that you can create a transaction in a Bitcoin block where regardless how much you look at it, you just can't figure out what's going on. That's a Wasabi coin join. Like they're, they're so large that they're so computationally complex that like all the methods that we currently know of, of analyzing them, like there's not enough energy in our solar system to compute, to compute the information necessary. Like, it's, it's just not, it's, it's like an RSA key with 2048 bit, you know, you, you just physically can't break it. You know, this, um, th there's not enough energy, even if you would have the most perfectly efficient computer. So that's a solution for it. Right? 
people will forever keep spying on, on your internet traffic, but why don't you just encrypt it? And then even if, they, even if they want to read it, or even if they read it, they can't understand it. And the coin join is very similar. Like we're, we're sending here packages over, over an easily observable channel. So yeah, people will listen to it, but then just don't be stupid, you know, encrypt your information. Eh? And then it doesn't matter if someone is listening. So conjoin and encryption is, is very similar in that aspect. You know, and we, nowadays we see HTTPS everywhere. And I think in the very near future, we're gonna see coin joins everywhere. Like you're just mm -hmm. simply stupid if you don't encrypt your communication over an insecure channel. Like, sorry, but there's no way around it. Like, unless you want the information to actually be public, like a radio broadcast, then sure. But if you don't want it to be public knowledge and you don't encrypt your, your information that you send over the wire, like, I, I'm sorry, but nobody can help you. And the same is with Bitcoin. It's an unsecure public broadcast system. And if you don't want everyone to know about all of your financial transactions, then I'm sorry, but don't be stupid. You know, use coin joins, encrypt your messages, so to say. And then it doesn't matter if people are looking. It's like walking around naked in your bedroom with your curtains open. If you, you know, if, uh, exactly. to use that analogy, you, you're going you're gonna to pull your curtains before you get undressed, right? Uh, because yeah. you value your privacy. Yeah, exactly. And just, just the fact that inside your own house, you can build a window with curtains. Like nobody has the right to tell you that, hey, you're not allowed to put curtains in your own window. That's just fundamentally not right. It's your house. It's your property. You do whatever the fuck you want with it. If you want to build a glass box without curtains and put it on the top of the hill, sure, do it. But if you don't want to, then nobody has the right to force you to do it. And it's the exact same thing with Bitcoin transactions. Like, sure, if you want to, Reuse addresses, tell everyone how much money you have and when you receive it and where you send it to. Do that. I'm happy for you. But if you don't want to, then nobody has the right to force you to do that. Because fundamentally, a Bitcoin is like, it's your computer. You bought the hardware. And whatever software you run is, is very much up to you. And if you choose to, to encrypt your messages, if you choose to make a coin join for your payments, that's up to you. It's your right. And anyone who tries to stop you is in the wrong, full stop. And you can use force against an attacker like that, obviously, you know? Mm hmm Yeah, like you say, uh, peeping toms have been around forever, still using the analogy of the... Uh, uh, you know, the, the open yeah. curtains. Yeah, but you know, then, then even like being a peeping Tom isn't a bad thing either. Like if I stand in my own house and I look out of my window and I see, and, and you're my neighbor, you have your house there, you have a window and the curtains are not drawn, right? So I can see through the window. Now I, I stand in my house, in my body, I have my own binoculars and, and I look at you. Like I'm not stealing from you. I'm using my own property as I see fit, just like you're using your own property as you see fit. There's nothing wrong here. Right? 
if you don't like me looking at you, then don't build a house with a window. Or if you have a window, draw on the curtains if you don't want people looking in. Like that's fundamentally what privacy is about. You own your body, you own your property, you do what you want with it. And if other people use their property in a way that you don't like it, well, I'm sorry, but it's not your property, so you can't change it, you can't stop them. And neither, neither legally, nor ethically, nor morally. And you don't have the right to beat someone up because he's looking at you. Like that doesn't make sense. But you can you can hide yourself, you know, you can wear hoodies and sunglasses, unless you stole them. <laughs> but if you bought them or built them yourself, wear them and nobody else can stop you. That's the case for coin joining. All right. Uh lots to uh lots to chew on there mate um i think we've gone through everything is there anything we didn't touch on any other uh like uh, deep conversations you've had with with people um that had worries that i've not brought up uh, uh, in this conversation that you want to ch- uh, share or address you know so fundamentally you you uh, so you can be attacked, right? And there's always going to be a certain cost to an attack. And then you can defend yourself, but there's always going to be a certain cost for that defense. And I guess the, the cypherpunk strategy is to increase the cost of the attack while decreasing the cost of the defense. And private public key cryptography is the perfect example for that. In order to create a private key, it's trivial. You flip a coin 256 times, that's it. That's your private key, done. To produce the public key from that, trivial. Some math formulas over that long number, you get another long number, that's it. It's super easy. To produce a signature when you have the private key, super simple, super, super simple like cost you a nanosecond of compute power, nothing, right? Like a, a milliwatt hour, like a tiny, tiny amount of electricity and time. Or then once you know a signature and you know a public key, to verify it is also trivially easy, right? The, so the, the cost of defense in all of these uh, uh, examples is miniaturely small, like it's microscopic, it's, it's almost not noticeable. And and that's why people can afford to encrypt everything. Your computer does billions of encryption tasks every day and you you don't notice it. However, to attack this system, if you don't know the private key, you only know the public key, but you want to find out what the private key is, well, I'm sorry, but there is literally not enough energy in this universe to make that computation. It is so expensive, so absurdly expensive that it's literally impossible. Or when you know you really want to make a signature that is valid to a certain public key, but you don't know the private key. Well, I'm sorry, but it's literally impossible. The cost of attacking and attacking here meaning to create a signature without knowing the private key is so absurdly large 
that even if you would control all of the energy in this universe and you have a, a perfect computer inside a black hole, it's, it still doesn't work. The, the attack would still take you millennia of years to execute. And so now we have here a system where to, to use it in defense is incredibly cheap, but to mount up in a successful attack against the system is so unfathomably expensive. And this makes it, it, it just works. Like here we have an unbreakable system, so to say, where, where the individual, like a, a random Joe, like you and me, can, can use the system and we are at perfect defense, even against like the most wealthy adversary that we could think of. And that's, that's just crazy. You know, and it's, it's not a new thing. These things have existed since, since forever. You know, like back in the days, you know, you have swords. Those are, those are you know, ag aggressive tools. You can, you can attack with them, right? But uh, like producing them is pretty cheap. And so you have, you have very cheap attack and oh, okay, you can also use those swords in, in, in defense as well, right? But they're very cheap, very abundantly available. However, then the next step was uh, a, a knight in full plate armor on top of a war horse. And so, so now you need a war horse, you need like a bunch of steel, you need to, to the, the skills to craft that into a full plate armor which is a marvel of engineering, to be honest. And that was incredibly expensive. Um, uh, that is an incredibly expensive defense. So in order, it's, it's a very high level of defense. Right? If, if someone else has just a sword or, or a stick, a spear, whatever, like he will not pierce through your solid plate armor. Like it's just not possible. The meaning, the cost, of attacking that person has exponentially increased. And the cost of that person defending himself is also super expensive though. And now we have a problem. If the cost of defense is expensive, then only the rich can defend themselves. And that's what we have in feudalism. That a single knight on top of a war horse can survive an attack of thousands of peasants with sticks and stones. And as, as long as you can defend yourself well, you can just keep attacking people and ultimately one guy can kill a thousand peasants. And those thousand peasants don't have the same level of defense as that knight. And that is bad. That is really bad. That is an asymmetry, that's a mismatch. There's an asymmetry here that, that one person has the benefit of unbreakable defense but he's the only one because he's the only one that can afford it. But then something happened and that was gunpowder. Right? All of a sudden we have an, 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 a, a, the, an attack tool that can break those defenses. And, and gunpowder was pretty cheap. A pistol is pretty cheap and the bullet is pretty cheap too. So we have a very cheap attack and it makes the previously very expensive and very high quality defenses obsolete like you it you know it doesn't matter how thick your steel is a bullet will still punch through and now a single peasant can from 100 meters away kill the guy on like the the, the knight in full plate armor on his war horse 
and all of a sudden one guy can take out the big boss and this changes the situation again completely and it's it's a fundamental shift and that's that's why knights are no longer a thing because it got super easy to stop them their defense was no longer adequate and this changed the entire landscape of of humanity so to say it was that this type of technology has in such an astounding impact it's it's baffling and here is where the cypherpunks and and the bitcoiners come in because we we realize this and we've increased the cost uh, we increased the effectiveness of defense and you can now encrypt your communications so that nobody can read them or now you can hold your money like you to to receive to earn and, and save money that nobody can steal from you and, and not just is it an incredible high level of defense even better we made it super cheap we made it so cheap that you can encrypt billions of messages within a millisecond right? for basically nothing a little bit of electricity and a small computer but so that the cost of defense went massively down the effectiveness of the defense went massively up and bitcoin is the same thing but for money and now you can define verify and enforce the rules of a money system so that when you earn money nobody can take it from you nobody regardless of how much money they have and that's that's going to have such profound impacts on on humanity and and how we live and how we work together and how we interact that it's it's just absolutely baffling and by coin joining you're just adding that extra layer of layer of steel um uh you know on your armor sorry you were breaking up what did you say and by coin joining you're you're just adding that extra layer of steel that extra layer of protection exactly yes and it's like it's it's such a thick like you know it's and the thing is the bullet in this example has not yet been invented you know all your opponents are running around with like copper swords or like sticks with burnt uh, pointy uh, things right like and they just physically cannot pierce your armor it's just not possible and right? so you're riding here on on a horse and and nobody can stop you and that's basically what what bitcoin enables you but the difference here is getting into that armor is super cheap so yep. everyone does it everyone can right? do it exactly everyone can do it so we don't have that situation as back in the past where where you have the one guy on the horse killing thousands of peasants now the thousands of peasants have equally strong armor as the other guy and like now we're all in this invincible armor that nobody else can break and nobody has the weapons to go about and breaking it like that's that's so absurd you know we've 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 basically become like un, unstoppable demigods so to say and i <laughs> we're just, I just plebs, have Max. no idea what that will do <laughs> yeah I, I, that's the thing and we're just plebs yeah. but now we're unstoppable plebs like that's crazy that's so crazy i love it all right well Usually, Lauren asks the first question. She's she's coming towards the end of this show, uh, so she's here. Um, you can't see her because we've got cameras turned off for uh, the, a better uh, connection. 
Um, but she is going to ask you a question, mate. Um, and what once, well, I'll set it up. The, the reason I wanted to ask her that her, I wanted her to ask you this question, because when we were originally going to record, it was way back in the summer. Uh, we had to keep postponing. One of the reasons was I got caught up in England with one of my daughters who had a passport stuck at the passport office, Her Majesty's passport office, of course, uh, which took them months and months to renew. Uh, so I was actually stuck with her for a few weeks longer than we were intending to be in uh, in the UK. Um, yeah, just another example of you know how the state controls our movement. But uh, that is going to be the basis of, of Lauren's question, even though it's her sister Sophia that was uh, having a problem. So far away, Lauren. Why do we need passports? <laughs> That's a really great question. Well, because of World War One, that's when they were introduced. Uh, and and here, uh, if I got my history correct, but here there was the problems of quote unquote like spy soldiers, you know, like a, a soldier from the the other tribe crossing the border to to find interesting information and, and sabotage the other guy's supply lines or whatnot. And the the other big problem, are, and and so the Plus, this was like a, a war inside Europe where, where people kind of look the same uh, to, to a large extent. So, you know, it's, it's not like Chinese fighting people in Africa who, who are very easy to spot that you're not from Africa, like you look like a China uh, man. Um, and that basically then led to the introduction of, of, of the passport and, and those types of papers to identify where you're from so that and if you don't have the papers of tribe number one well then that means you're not from the tribe so that means you're an enemy so i'm going to shoot you now uh, and unfortunately <laughs> well this was one of the many temporary measures introduced by governments <laughs> that turned out to be not so temporary uh, so for me personally i consider the first world war to still be ongoing and i declare it as over once all passports are abolished uh, because they are just fundamentally evil. The, the reason why they were invented was evil, and the reason why they're still around is evil, uh, and they they do nothing but harm the, the average individual. And cost the average individual, because we now have to pay for them. Yeah. Yeah, we have to pay for them. You have to, like, forget, you cannot forget them, you know, or, like, if you forget them, you have to go back, pick it up. That costs you time. You know, it costs you a bunch of uncertainty. Um, there's there's costs all around with these things, and no benefit, like none. Uh, if you know, and and here again, like the cypherpunks did it better. Like if you want to identify yourself, use cryptography, sign a sign like sign a challenge message with your private key, and voila, you have unbreakable identification if you choose to. And so, it, passports can be easily faked. And, and, and they're trying to make them more and more difficult to fake. But, well, ultimately, it's still possible. Uh, and it's not a trustless system. And especially if you have, you know, some crony bureaucrat willing to give you some fake passports, but issued from the official authority, all of these things happen. Um, and all of these things don't happen with, with cryptography. Uh, so... 
Yeah, I mean, the, the, the great thing is Bitcoin makes all the nation states and bureaucrats uh, bankrupt. Uh, so pretty soon they won't have the money to print new passports. <laughs> and uh, I guess then, then the First World War is going to be over and, and we're fully hyper-Bitcoinized. Don't come soon enough. Don't. Cannot, indeed. Um, I have another question. Um, what, sure. what do you think about passports? What do you think about passports? Well, he's just told you. He hates them. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, they're, they're really horrible. Like, yeah. I'm not against identifiers. I, I'm just against being forced to use identifiers and being forced to use a specific identifier. You know, the beauty with, with cryptography is that you can create billions of these identifiers. Like, I literally have millions of public keys that, that identify me. And why is that a bad thing? Why, why do I need to have just one for everything? That really doesn't make sense. Like, I'm a different person to different people, you know, because the, the identity is a, a ongoingly negotiated construct. It's, it's, it's not just the same all the time. Like we're, we're creative human beings and, and we interact with others. And, and, you know, the way I interact with my mom is very different that I interact with, with Daniel. Uh, or, uh, and that's good. That's, that's all right. That's not a bad thing. So to force people to have the same identifier for all of their interaction is just, it's sad. It's, it's really sad. It's, it's anti-human. Yeah, it's so much has to change. So much has to change in this world. And, um, you know, coming on this Bitcoin journey with uh, with people like yourself, Max, has opened my eyes and ears to, to so many different uh, things. And when you have situations like this crop up in your everyday life, it's just all too stark a reminder. And of course, like the lockdowns and everything else that we went through and what we're possibly going to go through in the next six months as shit yeah, it's really strange in clown world. Um, yeah, it's going to be, uh, we're going to be reminded every day of why Bitcoin is necessary and why it's important and why we should be taking it uh, very seriously and protecting it as best we can. Yeah, exactly. Oh, like not just protecting your Bitcoins, but protecting yourself and your family. Mm. Like that's, that's just key. Nobody else is going to do it. Everyone else is, is out to get you. Um, so yeah, take care of yourself and your loved ones. Yeah, the only people not out to get you are the Bitcoiners, because they, they somehow get it. But everyone else seems to be quite crazy. Um, Vive la pebs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Bitcoin fixes this. Bitcoin fixes the crazy people, I guess. All right, Max, how can people uh, find you if they've got any further questions or they want to learn more about uh, Wasabi or, or what you're doing? And um, yeah. Before that, go. Uh, yeah, do you want to say goodbye quickly? Bye, Lauren. Was nice thing. I was actually wondering why you weren't there at the beginning. Uh, I was about to say it, but then here you're there at the end. So it's so nice seeing you again. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. So uh, my my personal website is towardsliberty.com. That that uh, has has my contact details there. Uh, I'm, I'm on Twitter and and all the other places under Max Hillebrand or or something. Uh, I'm sure you'll find me. Um, Always happy to talk, um, Bitcoin, economics, privacy, all, all the good stuff. Um, and yeah, check out wasabiwallet.io. Download the software, try it out. It's like it's a 
it's really a monumental achievement. Like this is, I'm, man, I'm so proud of the software. It's, it's so crazy good. <laughs> it's, it's not even funny. But then when you zoom in close enough, it's so horribly broken. You know, everything in there is not as great as it could be. Like we have so much work to do to continue making it better. And ultimately we need, we need everyone to, to help out here. Like the to-do list for the Wasabi project is so long. It's like thousands of years worth of work. Uh, and we by far don't have enough people working on it. Uh, so if you're bored, if you're looking for meaning in life, well, contribute to the tools that you use uh, and, and help out other individuals to, to protect their, themselves and their loved ones. At least for me, that adventure is, is the most meaningful ride of my life so far. And I can only recommend it to, to everyone to well, get up out of, out of the couch and be useful and help other people. Uh, and Wasabi or Bitcoin or basically any other free software is, an, is a monumental opportunity to do that. Uh, like we need you very much. Uh, and so be, be active, like every contributor is welcome. Uh, GitHub.com slash CKSnack slash Wasabi Wallet. Uh, there's, there's a bunch of open issues and to-dos to tackle. And you know, we're, the company's hiring like crazy. Uh, we like, we'll, we'll be around for a long time and, and we'll keep paying people to make Wasabi better and other Bitcoin projects better. Uh, so yeah, if you want to stack more sats, be useful for Wasabi and Bitcoin privacy and, and I'll make sure to get you some. Uh, but that's basically it. Awesome, brother. Great rip. Thank you so much for, uh, you know, teaching me and, uh, and everybody that's listening to this about CoinJoin, how it works, about Wasabi, about uh, ZK Snacks, about everything that we've spoken to. Very open discussion. Always love chatting with you, mate, and hanging out. It was great to finally get to meet you in Riga and, um, you know, hang out for a little while in, in real life. I think I'm going to see you again in Prague for the Liberty in Our Lifetime. Will you be in Amsterdam or not? Uh, both. You will? Okay, so, great. Yeah. We're, we're going to be man. on top of each other uh, quite a lot, man. It's, um, <laughs> the, you, the, you... But the sad thing is, you know, even when meeting the Bitcoiners almost all the time, it never gets boring. It never gets old. So, no, it's it's so I'm amazing. Looking forward to the next gathering, and you'll get to meet Lauren in person as well because uh, my wife and kids oh, are coming perfect. along to to both. So that'll be nice to to expose the oh, kids to uh, some more Bitcoiners. It's always nice to see um, how uh, you guys uh, interact with the kids. It's it's so um, uplifting. Uh, but anyway, yeah. I'm gonna uh, yeah. I'm you gonna know, hit... we should... go ahead. Yeah, we we should have like a dedicated conference just for the kids. Or, or just for the Bitcoiner wives, you know, that would be yeah. really interesting what gets out of that, you know. <laughs> there's there's a, an initiative to do a family room at uh, Bitcoin Miami 2023. So oh, cool. a place where wives and kids might want to get away from the crazy plebs, but have their own little <laughs> area, you know, like computer games, beanbags, nice coffee shops, martini bar, whatever it is. Uh, little arcade games um, and have all of the um, the Bitcoin education booths in there, you know, so the kids books and whatever else and perhaps even a little stage. That would be very cool, I think. Uh, like yeah, a sub little conference inside uh, the, the main conference because we definitely, I know Bitcoiners all over the world, they want to expose their wife and their kids uh, to as many Bitcoiners as possible so that they can prove 
to their wife and their kids that they're not just some crazy dude that's losing their mind. Just there are other of... crazy dudes just yeah. as crazy as I am. So, <laughs> <laughs> Which seems to somehow talk a lot of sense and be um, very genuine individuals, uh, which um, is yeah. a nice thing to expose your family to. But um, anyway, I hope... Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, I know. I, I look forward to seeing you, mate, in uh, in Amsterdam and, and in Prague. And uh, yeah, carrying on the conversations and um, carrying on building the... Um, the pleb network and uh, the relationships with uh, with other bitcoiners with whoever we meet so thanks for coming on brother uh, i'm going to um i'm going to hit the re uh, the stop record button but i'm just going to chat with you slightly afterwards indeed as usual of course thanks a bunch everyone this was a great conversation i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did all right brother take care well guys i hope you enjoyed that one thanks again max for coming on always love hanging out and ripping bitcoin with you learning from you especially this idea of upping your privacy game something that you get dragged into when you enter the bitcoin rabbit hole after a while it takes some longer than others i admit i have been very slow to take the uh, the reins on this one there are certain rabbit holes i just haven't been pulled down yet this was one of them I peered into, kind of got afraid of, and steered clear of. Mac has, has grabbed me by the collar, as have some other people in the past, to try and help me understand. Like I said at the beginning of the show, I have played around with uh, Wasabi. If you want to as well, go to wasabiwallet.io. Please make sure you use .io. Not .com, not the US, not any of this. It's wasabiwallet.io. Download the software. Create your first test wallet. Send in some Satoshis to it. And wait for the magic to happen. Wait for that coin join to happen. See how it feels and start your own journey. Start your own research. Have a look. What are the other options out there that are open to you that you might want to start playing around with as well? Is this something you want to continue doing? Uh, is this something you'll do with your existing stack or is this something you're going to do with the coins that you acquire from this point onwards? The education will carry on. I'm going to keep playing around with it and Max has kindly offered to uh, support the show. So I'll be reading out a little bit of my journey each start of every show to, to let you know how it's going and what I've been up to and how I'm finding it. And uh, like I said, thank you to everybody that has been part of this space and pushing this message. Uh, KYC free coins should be the norm. Maybe one day we will get there, or at least if they're not KYC free, uh, gone through a coin join. Now, people like Matt O'Dell have been saying this for a very long time. Max isn't the only one out there doing work in this space, so go find those that you resonate with and uh, reach out and start educating yourselves as well before we close down this episode make sure you are reaching out to the other show sponsors they want to hear from you if you've got ideas of how they can improve their service or add to their service they are open to anything just hit them up on their dms that's swan bitcoin in the u.s relay across europe and also coin corner based out of the Isle of Man, but serving all of Europe. They are brilliant companies doing great work. Stack safely. If you are going to coin join, then get them into 
deep cold storage use the bitbox02 signing device by shift crypto it's a bitcoin only signing device and it will keep your stack nice and safe get yourself some books from consensus network and get yourself some streetwear from ungovernable misfits catch you on the next show guys